How many are ready for God's word? I want to preach this morning what I, what I sense God put in my heart, and we will get back to 1 Corinthians, and we're, we're end of chapter 10 there, but we're going to divert again this morning, and I want to preach a message in kind of as we begin this year, but talking about how God is able. Say that with me. God is able. Do you believe that God is able? Now, do you believe that God is not only able, but do you believe that God is more than able to meet whatever need you're facing today? And and I want you to know today as we begin that I do not speak for a bankrupt God. The economy, inflation, and Bidenomics has not affected God whatsoever. Four years ago when COVID hit this world, it did not rock God's heaven. What's going on in Israel and the Middle East has not shaken him. What's been happening in Ukraine and Russia hasn't taken God by surprise because nothing does. America's wokeism and gender confusion hasn't confused God because God is not the author of confusion. This being an election year in America hasn't put God in the position of God up in heaven wringing his hands saying, what am I going to do in America this fall? God's not worrying about the results or the outcome of the election later on this year. And I also want you to know that feeling your need this morning, whatever your need might be, will not put God out of business. Always keep in mind that to God, to God, there is no such thing as a miracle because God always moves in the miraculous. All right? So keep that in mind as well. So why do I say all that? Because God is able to do more than we ask or imagine. And as I said, we serve a God who is not only able to, to meet us where we're at, but God is more than able to meet you and your need. Years ago, there was a brilliant, we call brilliant advertising man. His name was Stan Freeberg. And he came up with some of the most brilliant commercials ever in radio and television. Uh, Stan Freeberg was the son of a minister. And a number of years ago, he wrote and produced a series of 30-second spots for a Protestant denomination. Well, in one of his ads, he depicted two men who were conversing. And they apparently had not seen each other for a while and, and, and it's been some time, and so the one man was telling the other man how he was doing, how his business had prospered, how well he was doing financially. And his friend asked him, well, by the way, how is your wife doing? And the first fellow hemmed and hawed a bit and then responded, well, I'm afraid our marriage didn't last. We're divorced. And then he said this, but a man can't ask for everything, can he? To which the other man quietly replied, depends upon whom you ask. I love that line. It depends upon whom you ask. You see, asking God is much different from asking others. Why? Because God is our source. He is our source. The God who is there, as Francis Schaeffer put it. God is an ever-present God. He wants to help us in our time of need. He is a God who says, 
Church, cast all your care upon me because I care for you. We have established how much God loves us. You see, the unchangeable creator of the universe is well able to undergird our lives, to do in our lives what he desires to do. And so then when the most brilliant minds, the most skilled surgeons, the most prolific thinkers, the most heavily bankrolled philanthropists have dropped out of the running, guess what? God is still there and God is able. God is able. He is more immutable than the Rockies, sure than the sunrise, more faithful than the sun shining in all of its strength. God is there and God is able. All that being said, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Ephesians chapter 3 for our text in verses 20 and 21 this morning. It says this, Ephesians 3 verse 20, Now to him who is able... Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Then verse 21 says this, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able. Who is able? That's what Paul says, now unto him who is able. As W.A. Ogden put it in his great hymn so many years ago, "'Tis the grandest theme, let the tidings roll, to the guilty heart, to the sinful soul. Look to God in faith, he will make thee whole. Our God is able to deliver thee. And then the chorus, he is able to deliver thee, he is able to deliver thee, though by sin oppressed, go to him for rest, our God is able to deliver thee. How many know that hymn? He is able to deliver, all right. See, you and I can easily fall into despair when we see our looming circumstances, And oh, how high the peaks at times, how deep the valleys, how overwhelming the problems that you and I face day in and day out. And I think what you and I really need is to get our eyes off the circumstance and get our eyes off the problem and get our eyes focused on the God who is able. Remember Isaiah? Isaiah had this incredible revelation. It says this in Isaiah chapter 6. 1 through 5, in the year that King Uzziah had died, what do you say? What do you say? I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs. Each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of the voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. No doubt, holy smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
And so here's Isaiah having this glimpse of God, knowing the holiness and the majesty and the wonder of who God was. And Isaiah says, man, I I, I called out, woe is me for I am unclean. When you and I catch a revelation of who he is, you too and I too will have that same same, uh, come to Jesus moment saying, God, I need you. God, I'm undone. God, touch me because God, I am undone in the holiness of who you are. Years ago, I heard a preacher and he used these verses in a sermon he was preaching. And I remember him saying that before some of us can see God as Isaiah saw him, there might be some things that need to be removed from our life first. He said, as Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, there was death, there was, there was, there was this experience that, that not only did he die, but, but guess what? Uh, because he did, then I, I saw the Lord. And the, and the preacher said, some things we might need to get rid of in our lives. Some things may need to, we, may, we may need to repent of. In the year that King Uzziah died, he was no longer there. And I thought, oh God, to see you in, in your glory, in your majesty. God, to see you in your splendor as Isaiah saw you. And I thought how that would change even the faith of this generation if we would get a revelation of who he is. That we'd get a revelation that our God is able. And he's more than just able. He's a more than enough God. You see, not only did Isaiah see him, but the apostle Paul saw him by revelation when he was caught up in the third heaven. When, when even, even on the road to Damascus, when he's on his way to persecuting Christians, he had this encounter with the resurrected Christ. And, and, and he, it, changed, it changed Saul's life and became the great apostle Paul. But Paul saw him by revelation while waiting through depression in Corinth. And the apostle Paul himself was never the same. And Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. And so here's Paul saying, He has delivered us, He will deliver us, He will continue to deliver us. Then he says, As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. And so no doubt he had this revelation that says, hey, my God is able. He's going to do this. He's doing this. He's going to continue doing this. So we saw that Paul saw him. John, John the Beloved, saw him divinely manifested on the Isle of Patmos. From, and from that experience gave us the riches of the last book in our Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, 9 through 20, it says this, I, John your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. And so suffering in the kingdom, patient endurance are ours in the kingdom. And we don't want to talk about that, but that's part of the gospel. And then he says, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In verse 10, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. Friends, we ought to all be in the Spirit on the Lord's day and every day. 
All right. In the on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, "Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches: to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea." And in verse twelve, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword, and his face, John says, was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And John, who I believe knew him best of all the disciples, John, John who walked with him, John who laid his breast on him, his head on his breast, John who knew him best said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then I placed, and then he placed his right hand on me. And said, do not be afraid for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, Jesus says, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. And then Jesus told John, write there for what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels, the leaders, the pastors of the seven churches that were in Asia Minor, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so here's John having this incredible, this incredible revelation, this vision of the resurrected, glorified Christ. Friends, I can guarantee it, if you and I once again would get a revelation of who he is in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, in all of his splendor, in the beauty of his holiness, we would know that our God is able like Isaiah, like Paul, like John, we need spiritual eyesight to behold the things that are eternal. And with that sight, we begin to understand, you know, doctors may not have plumbed the depths of scientific medicine to the point of healing all of our sicknesses and diseases. That the economic plight of our nations may have depleted our natural resources. That psychologists are stymied by the twists and turns of our domestic crisis. But I'm here to remind us today that our God is able. And I pray Holy Spirit will help all of us to see even today through our current situation, through our current uh, circumstance or turmoil, that the hopelessness of our situation will evaporate in the proximity of God's glory, God's majesty. Let me give you a little biblical basis for this. In 1 Kings 18, if you want to turn there, we'll be looking at 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 18. It tells us the picture of story about Elijah's bout with King Ahab. And I love, I love this passage of Scripture. Many of you know it well. But the prophet Elijah had such clout with God that he could actually and accurately predict the dreaded drought that reduced Israel to a parched wasteland. 
Now, if we ever needed a meteorologist, I think Elijah would have been good because he was accurate. Because Elijah told Ahab this in 1 Kings 17, 1. Now Elijah said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, that's, a, that's an accurate meteorologist. All right. You better be hearing from God to be saying those things. And he says to King Ahab, he, he confronts this evil, this evil leader saying, you know, the God of Israel, he lives. He's the God I serve. And, and based on my word, there's not going to be dew nor rain. Now, we in Arizona think no big deal because it very rarely rains here, even though it rained just recently. But as a result of what he said, the brooks withdrew their sparkling waters, the wells left their telltale marks on the stones to indicate where the water level was and had once been, but was there no longer. The animals died in pathetic wallowing in the dust. It was panic time in the land of the prophets. But guess what? Even, even though it didn't rain at his word, even though the brook went dry, God can still use the birds to feed you if God so chooses. God can use the widow at Zarephath to feed you if God so chooses. And so it was panic time in the land of the prophets, but Elijah said to King Ahab, the next chapter in chapter 18, 1 Kings 18, verse 41, get thee up, go and eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. For there is a sound of an abundance of rain. Now, no other person heard that sound. There was no cloud in the sky, not even one in that deep blue sky. The sun still drenched the sizzling rocks with even more killing heat. And yet he says, get thee up, because there's the sound of an abundance of rain. In 1 Kings 18, 42 through 45, so Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees like in a fetal position, Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked, and there is nothing, he said. And seven times, seven times, Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time, seven's a number of completion and perfection in the Bible. And the seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Very small. And so Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, verse 45, 1 Kings 18, 45, meanwhile the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose and here it says a heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Here's what I want to show you. Elijah, Elijah saw what the servant could not see by faith. Elijah could see the coming rain while the only thing the other fellow could see was sweat on his brow. He's like, man, would he stop sending me off to look for a cloud in the sky? Here's what I want us to see. Elijah saw with spiritual eyes. He was positive that his God was 
Abel. I just watched this past week with Jill an episode of The Watchmen. I was sharing this last Wednesday evening a little bit with Eric Steckelbeck. My sister said, Brian, you got to watch this. I've been watching that. And it's a great program. It's on TBN. And he was actually on, on site on Mount Carmel with an archaeologist this past week. Anybody catch his program? It'll be on. You can look at it, you can look at it on, on TBN's app or whatever. But they were on Mount Carmel, and they were talking about this incident. I was saying, Jill, I'm preaching on this Sunday, you know. But it was kind of cool to see them on Mount Carmel, Carmel to see the, 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 the valley below them where he ended up killing then the false prophets, the prophets of Baal. But, but it was really cool to see this come alive and, and, and to know that on this spot, somewhere on top of this mountain, you know, this is where this confrontation took place as to who is the God who's going to answer by fire. James records this incident in chapter 5, if you want to turn there, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. It says this, James 5, 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Verse 14, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We're going to have a time of prayer at the end of service today. We're going to believe God. If you, if you are sick or know someone and you would like prayer, we want to anoint you with oil. We want to pray a prayer of faith with you and over you. And we believe according to God's word as we pray for each other that you will be healed. Why? Because God is able. God is able. It says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And that includes women too, by the way. And it's a generic term. The, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then James says this, verse 17, James 5. Elijah was a man just like us. Sometimes, as I've mentioned, as I think I mentioned last Wednesday as well in our Bible study, sometimes I think we put these Bible characters on a pedestal and we forget that they're people just like us. Same problems, same, same you know, uh, questions in their mind. Well, what if God doesn't send rain? I just told Ahab that. You know, same doubts, perhaps. I mean, Elijah, I'll, just, I'll pause here and I'll get back to it, but Elijah saw the power of God fall. Elijah saw God not only uh, consume the sacrifice of the bull that he cut up in pieces and the wood and, 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 and the stones and the, and the soil was all consumed, licked up. God licked up all those, all those pots of water that was put on that sacrifice. And so Elijah saw the power of God. Elijah knew that God was able, but shortly thereafter, you read on in 18, in 1 Kings 19, you'll see that Elijah, all of a sudden, the realization, fear's got a hold of his heart, and he was running from Jezebel. He wanted, he, want, he went to the, he was in the wilderness saying, God, take my life, you know, I'm done, you know, basically. I've preached, I've proclaimed, I've prophesied, I'm done. Because, you know, the people are hard, they're hard-hearted or whatever. And so keep in mind, as you're reading the Bible, that these people were just like you and me. And it's to encourage you, hey, if Elijah can have that kind of faith, so can we. He was a man just like us. 
He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. The reason that God had to feed him by a raven or the widow at Zarephath is because of his prayer. Sometimes we might pray a prayer that will put us in a position of, of more crying out to God. It's like, God, what did I pray, and what are you doing here? But he trusted God. For three and a half years, it didn't rain. Again, he prayed, verse 18, again, he prayed, again, a man just like us, again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth, it says, produced its crops. Hallelujah. God followed through and showed Elijah that he was able. No doubt, Elijah could echo the cry of Abraham, is there anything, is there anything too hard for God? Church, there's nothing that you're facing or I'm facing that's too difficult for God. And so it hadn't rained. So what? Elijah knew that God had designed the intricacies of nature and that God could realign them for his own good pleasure. And God did. And my how it rained, it says, a heavy rain, a heavy rain came on Ahab, came on and Ahab rolled off to Jezreel. I'm reminded of another passage in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16, where it says, Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, was he a madman? No. Do you have to be some kind of a strange hermit living on top of a mountain or whatever to call down fire from heaven? No. Do you have to have faith like Smith Wigglesworth who believed God to heal the sick, to raise the dead, or a Reinhard Bonnke or a George Mueller? You know, George Mueller with the orphanages and all the kids he provided for all the years never asked mankind for a penny, but he prayed, he prayed, he prayed. All the provisions that came in by, by the millions of dollars came as a result of this man praying because God says, open wide your mouth and, I, and, and basically I'll fill it. Friends, we need, to, we need to ask God because God is able. God is able. There's a notation in the Full Life Study Bible, the Fire Bible, about effective praying and requirements for effective praying. Several conditions must be met, it says, for our prayers to be effective. First of all, our prayers will not be answered unless we have a sincere true faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Without faith, we can't please to God. We have all been given a measure of faith. And I don't care if it's as small as a mustard seed, it can still move mountains. And so we have to have a sincere, true faith. And Jesus states explicitly, whatever you have, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you received it and it will be yours. To the father of a demon-possessed boy, Jesus spoke these words, everything is possible for him who believes. Even the author of Hebrews urges us, and I read this three times last Sunday morning in the message, Draw Near, and it says this in Hebrews 10, 22, draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. In full assurance of faith. And even James encourages us when asking to believe and not doubt in James 1.6. 
And then we have the, the, the faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 that tells us that faith is substance. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so church, having faith does not suspend logic, just the opposite. Having faith is the fullest measure of logic that assumes that God who created all things can mold any circumstance to his will. I'm here to tell you, nothing is too hard for God. God is able. God is able. See, faith is prompted within the human soul when one beholds the majesty of God, of, above and beyond the grimness of any present-day situation. See, here, here's, here's a vital key, as I shared. Don't get your eyes on your faith and you don't have to have much. As I said, only a mustard seed is enough to move mountains. Pretty tiny mustard seed is, according to Jesus. You see, my faith is not elevated when I consider the amount of faith I have. Quite the contrary, it's diminished. My faith, however, is accelerated when my eyes are upon God. When my fix, when my gaze is upon Him. See, my faith can do nothing but grow exponentially when I behold the Lord as Isaiah saw him, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. See, when I see God in his splendor, when I see God in his, in his glory, when I see God in the beauty of his holiness, the splendor, as the word says, of his majesty, then I see my circumstances in a whole new way. And so I ask today, is my sickness greater than God? No. Is your sickness greater than God? No. Is my current financial need overwhelming to God? Of course it's not. Is my domestic situation baffling to him who designed the home in the first place? Nonsense. Is the church so dead that the Holy Spirit who once brooded over the nothingness of pre-creation can't bring about a whole new life? What silliness. See, no matter what the situation or current heart-stopping crisis, God is more than able to overcome it. See, Paul added some light to the kind of faith that we can have in our Lord in Ephesians chapter 3, 16 through 19, where Paul writes this, I pray that out of His glorious riches, that He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, Paul says, that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And so what is it that prompts faith in me? It's nothing about myself. It's nothing about my spirituality or my faith. No, it's the fullness of God. It's the knowledge of His blessed fullness that produces faith in my desperate soul so that you may be filled with the full measure of God, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, it's not a mulling over and acknowledgement of my present situation, nor is it a foolish denial of it. 
It's rather the acknowledgement of the God who is there and the God who is able. I ask you this morning, is anything too hard for God? No. Is that spouse that you're married to so lost, so vile, so polluted that the amazing grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ are then rendered ineffective? No. I don't believe that for a moment because the word of God denies any such possibility exists. Therefore, I think it's important that we saturate ourselves with God's word rather than continuing on, always thinking about the dreadful situation that we're facing. Smith Wigglesworth, who was used by God to raise the dead, he was once asked about that, you know, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically he said, I, I spend so much time reading God's word. And he didn't read other books, just the Bible. And I'm not saying don't read other books because there's good books to read besides the Bible. But he spent time in God's word. Where he came to a situation, he says, it's more difficult for me not to believe than to believe what God's word says. And God used him to raise the dead. I could tell you stories about Reinhard Bonnke as I shared membership class yesterday. At one time in the 1990s in Africa preaching, over a million people were baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues in one meeting. Friends, God by His Spirit is not restricted to what we might think or how we put Him in a box. God is able. He is able. And so I encourage you today to ask God to show you that loved one, as he or she will be when the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ flows in that person's innermost being. See, we see in the outside. We see with the natural eye. Let's see them with the spiritual eye. You know, pray with the spiritual awareness as Elijah did, a man just like us. He saw the rain with spiritual eyes long before the smallest cloud graced the sterile skies. Go back, he told his servant. Go back seven times. And there was finally a cloud the size of a man's hands. So here's the deal. Elijah saw things as they would be when God moved. As they would be. He's calling those things as they are as though they weren't. Back, back and forth. Last Sunday, for example, it started raining when the church started. About 10.30, it started raining here. And I heard after service that a number of you, no pointing fingers, but a number of you forgot your umbrellas in your vehicles. All right, not looking at you right now. Even though the weathermen told us it was going to rain and the chance of rain was like 100%. Friends, here's my analogy. When you and I pray for rain, make sure we bring our umbrellas in. That's faith in action. That's what Elijah was, in, his, in essence, saying. Uh, you guys can't see it, but I can, by faith. Back to 1 Kings 18. So, so Elijah, verse 44, so Elijah says, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, verse 45, the sky grew black with clouds, a, the wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Hallelujah. See, King Ahab 
and his cronies would have continued to live in the drought, cursing the aridness of the land. And yet here's Elijah preferring to believe in a God who was able for whatever atmospheric changes were necessary to bring about that blessed rain, even though at his word it hasn't rained for three and a half years. Is anything too hard for God? No. I love Shaw's lines from years ago. There are those who see things as they are and ask why. But there are others who see, who see things as they could be and ask why not. We see a lot of negative things going on in our country and in our world today. Let's see things as they could be and begin to pray. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, establish your rule, establish your reign, establish your authority over this situation. God, we don't know what to do, but we know a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we ask or imagine. Amen. And so we pray. And we ask God. See, this is a message to ask God to bring to your heart and your soul today. You know of your present situation. You know what's going on in your life. Some of you facing things right now that are way beyond uh, any, anything you can imagine. But I, I'm here today to tell you that God's still on his throne. Yeah. That he is a loving, caring God who changes circumstances when we pray in his name and according to his will. As the apostle Paul cried out, now unto him, who is able. And so we pray today as well. And church, I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you to get along with God. Pour out your heart before him in honesty, in simplicity. Ask God, even today, for a new awareness of his presence. Saying, God, wow, I need you. I need you. Ask him for a fresh vision, a fresh revelation of his power and his love. I mean, let your faith begin to rise as you see and as you read of the miracles of Christ in the Bible. I mean, all things are possible with God. Believe it. Act on it. You know, the man in Stan Freeberg's ad said, well, a man can't ask for everything, can he? And you might feel the same way this morning. You might be lamenting that you can't ask for your health you can't ask for the salvation of your family. You can't ask for a decent job or for a husband or for a wife who will truly love you. Well, I'm here to tell you, it depends on who you're asking. Because asking God is a lot different than asking mankind. And so who are you asking? Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. I submit to us today, church, please hear me. We have not because we ask not. Let me change that around without changing the meaning of it. Drop the knots. We have because we ask by faith according to his will. 
And Lord, we say, you are able. And God, not only are you able, but you are more than able. What we're going to do today, and what I really sense by, by God's Spirit in this past week in preparation, is we're going to open up the altars, and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for each other, and lay hands on each other. And as it says in James 5, and if you need healing in your body, we're going to anoint you with oil, which simply means I'll pray for you. I'll pray for as many people as long as it takes, but, but God's given you faith as well. Every one of us has been given a measure of faith. Let's put that into action. Let's believe God. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for, once again, being here today. And I want you to go today knowing that God is able. God is able. And whatever you face this week, whatever happens this year, God is able. Amen? Father, thank you for your ability to do beyond what we can imagine, beyond what we can think, hope for, pray for. God, thank you for working in our hearts. And I pray, God, that this would be an incredible year for faith to rise up in the hearts of people, for faith to rise up in the hearts of those that call BCF their home church. God, I pray that you would feel by faith these empty pews with individuals, God. I pray, God, by faith, God, we call those things that are not as though they were, and we believe, God, for you to fill these empty seats with, with souls, God, with those who are here and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you said you're going to build your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, build your church here at BCF, and God, build your people with incredible faith to believe you for great things. God, for, for signs and wonders to follow them that believe, God. And remind us, God, we don't have to chase after signs. Signs ought to be following us. And God, I thank you once again for your word and for your ability to do the impossible. And I thank you for that now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. The altars are open. If anyone didn't get prayed for and you want to be prayed for, I'll pray for you, pray with you. But let's believe God this year for incredible things and for the release of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives to believe God for great and mighty things. Amen. God bless you all. Have a super week in the Lord. This Wednesday, we have Bible study, 6 p.m. I'll be teaching. There'll be something for youth, something for kids. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. And remember, God is able. Amen.